So as you know, we are a missional church, and that means that we think outside of ourselves and we have arrows out all the time, whether that's local here in ministry, we partner with ministries locally, or whether it's around the world. And one of our ministries is in Haiti. Uh, Mike Leland, who founded New Generation Ministries and Good Shepherd Orphanage and plants churches and trains pastors, is heading off to Haiti, and that's not really safe. And so we want to pray for him this morning. So, Mike, where are you? Come on up. There you are. Let's welcome Mike this morning. Mike, uh, tell us what you're going to be doing in Haiti, and how can we pray for you? Well, I'm just so thankful to have all of you guys behind us and Mm -hmm. the power of prayer uh, and your spirit with us. Mm -hmm. Um, Haiti is a very desperate and dangerous place right now, but um, God is using people in their desperate place to look for him. And uh, so we're seeing a lot of, of really good fruit mm-hmm. in that. And so I'm so glad that God called me and put a love in my heart for these people. Mm-hmm. Um, not because I have anything great to offer, but just to be willing. Mm-hmm. Amen. So, That's good. Thank you. So how can we pray for you? Security and safety? Security and and safety, but really touching and connecting the hearts with, uh, I have over 200 pastors that are eager to share the good news with their people. Yep. Awesome. And you're going to check on the orphanage and see how the kiddos are doing. Orphanage, medical clinic, schools. Awesome. Well, let's pray for Mike and for Chris and the kids as they're home. Without him, I'm sure they're going to, you know, be praying for him all week. And you leave Friday. Okay. Thank you so much. Yes. Lord Jesus, we're thankful for Mike and Chris, for Nathan, for the family of New Generation, all the people that uh, support and love. Uh, And we're just thankful, God, for the amazing fruit that you have produced through Mike and Chris uh, and others in Haiti, God. And we're thankful for the churches that have been planted. We're thankful for the pastors that are being raised up. We're thankful for the children that are coming through, being educated and having a place to live and parents to raise them, and God, we're grateful for it all. So now, as Mike goes, God, we just pray your hand over his life, and Greg and Nathan and everybody else, Lord, just be with them, keep them in your hand, keep them safe. But God, I know that Mike doesn't cling to this life, and I know that what's biggest on his heart is the fruit, people coming to know you, Jesus. And so we pray for the fruit, that these investments that are made over the next few weeks would be powerful in uh, doing battle against the enemy in Haiti, um, but also, Lord, in raising up people and bringing people to salvation in Jesus Christ, that there would be hope in the midst of desperation. Uh, Bless Chris and the kids, Lord. Just help them as they're here on this side to have comfort and peace and to trust you. Thank you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. All right, let's thank Mike this morning. Please keep them in your prayers. Mike, uh, Greg is going, right? Greg Newfelt going with you. So keep Mike and Greg in your prayers um, as they go leaving next Friday, this coming Friday, okay? Be faithful in that. We need, we need the prayers. Okay, a couple things I want to mention. And the first is in your program, and it's called the SHAPE Seminar. And uh, it's, it's really great that Mike was just up here because really what Mike has done is said, Lord, use me. Uh, use me and whatever my shape is to bring glory to your kingdom. And not all of us are going to start orphanages and not all of us are going to start planting churches, but we all need to know our shape and need to know how God can use us. So this is being offered again next Sunday. If you've never done shape, I recommend highly 
that at the very least you find out how God built you in your spiritual gifts, your heart passions, your abilities, your personality, and your life experience. That spells shape. And uh, just see what God might want to do with you, okay? Also, remember to grab a February involvement guide. They're right outside the main doors. Find out what's happening uh, so that you can be fed here in February. Lots of great new things starting up. And lastly, I'm very excited about this because I love food. Uh, International Potluck, this is in your program. All you need to do is sign up and then make an international dish uh, to feed, I think, 15. Bring it along and enjoy a whole bunch of other international dishes. I will be flying back in from India that morning, so I'll be primed and ready for some great food. And I'll be sick already, so I might as well just add to the pleasure of it all, right? So remember those things. Great things going on. Excited about this spring and what God is doing in us. Very, very, very excited about the 330 people that have joined me on the online Bible study, and there's still room if you want to join. It just makes this morning experience so much richer when you come prepared already having ingested the Word of God. Uh, One of the things we're going to do in this series is have a memory verse each week. How many of you grew up on memory verses? Let me see your hands. Yeah, me too. Uh, Mine was in King James always, so my head is full of King James Scripture. And my dad would take us through the paces every night after dinner. We would memorize. uh, We memorized the whole chapter of Romans, Romans 5, you know. And so I just have great uh, depth and memory of memory verses. And so we want to do that through this series and the memory verse from last week's message was 1 Peter 1.8. So we're going to say this together. If you can do it, close your eyes and do it from memory. Otherwise, feel free to use the screen, okay? So here we go, 1 Peter 1.8. You love him even though you have never seen him. And though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. 1 Peter 1.8. In all disclosure, I have to tell you, I read from the back screen, okay? There you go. All right. So as we talk about focused faith this morning, and we talk about one of the things that God wants to do in us, and that is bring us to holiness. And that's a scary word, so I want to talk about that this morning and kind of break that down and make it practical for us. But as I do life, I realize that everybody has a past. Does everybody have a past? Yeah, everybody has a past, and usually there's some regrets that go with that past. And I find that I still am adding regrets to my life almost weekly. (laughs) So last Thursday, I drove down to Seattle to go to the hospital to hang out with a friend of mine as his wife had surgery. And I was uh, was in my big truck. And my wife said to me, why don't you take my car? It's going to be horrible trying to find parking. I'm like, oh, no, no, big truck. Take the big truck. It's snowing, you know. So I take my truck, which for those of you that don't know, I I live my life in extremes. I have a tiny sports car and a big diesel truck, okay? So I get in my truck and I head down and everything's great on the way down. But I get down into the University of Washington district. I'm like, (laughs) where am I going to park this thing, right? There's no parking available anywhere. And if it was, it'd be too small. And so I'm like, okay, where do I go? And I was parked in Triangle before. It's a parking garage at the U. And so I, I said, okay, I'll go park in Triangle. <laughs> I pull in the Triangle down, go down the ramp, get my ticket. I go in, and you know that little hangy thing that measures how tall your vehicle is? And it says no taller than six foot nine. I think it was. I'm like, oh, no. So I, I can see it coming, and I can see it's, it's going to hit my truck, right? So fortunately, they move. 
And so I go through, and it like two inches too high, and it scrapes across the top of my truck. And, and I have to be honest with you, and I told a friend of mine this after the service, I have to be honest. I actually had a moment where I thought to myself, ah, I'll bet they're actually higher than that in here. You know, they probably just hang it a couple inches lower for idiots like me. And I really thought I should do it, you know. And then the thought came to me, what if it really is that low, you know. So I turned my truck around right in front of the little gates. I turned it around, people waiting to get in. And here I am backing this 350, turning it around, going back out. could hardly fit out the poles. You know, there's poles you have to drive between. Barely squeaked through. And I had the biggest regret, you know, of just like, why did I not listen to my wife? Do you ever have that feeling? I, I, I never feel that way, but I did this time. And, and a regret, and you know what that regret did for me, though? This regret made me realize I'm never going to do this again. And next time I come down to Seattle and, and go visit someone in the hospital, I'm going to take my wife's car. That's what regret did for me. It taught me something about life. And it said to me, don't do this again. Because if you do it again, you're stupid. You know, if you do it once, you're ignorant. If you do it again, you're stupid. So don't ever do that again. And I guess my point is to you today that every day, even this moment today in church, every day we have the opportunity to live in such a way that we add another regret to our life or not. We can look back on this day and be happy and pleased with how we lived it, how we related with our wife, our husband, our children, our friends, whatever, how we related with God. We can look back on this day and say, man, that was a great day. Or we can look back on this day and have regrets. And so my question to you today as we jump into this conversation on holiness is how will you intentionally adjust how you live today from how you might have lived so that you don't have regrets about today. Totally possible for us to do that. Most of us have regrets from our past. I've got mine. I've told you before, I would not want my life shown up on the screen. Anybody else with me? There's moments I would be so embarrassed for you to see. Now, we know they're there, but there's no reason showing a video clip of them, right? But regrets have a purpose. And if regrets help us change, then they have accomplished the goal of regrets in our life. Let our regrets inform us so that we don't keep making the same mistakes over and over again, hurting the people we love over and over again. Somebody said the definition of crazy is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results, expecting life to be better. Guess what? It won't. It'll get worse. So we want to change the way we've lived, and regrets help us to do that. And Peter really called this process of changing through our regrets is really becoming holy. It's becoming holy. That's what that is. Now, of all the people that walked with Jesus, I would say that Peter might have had the most regrets. Uh, he might have done the most thing, things and said the most things that he thought later, man, why did I say that? Why did I do that? Here's a couple of them. You know, Peter was the one that tried to talk Jesus out of going to the cross. He tried to tell Jesus, no, don't go. Don't go to the cross. If you remember the story, Matthew says that Jesus was telling his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the chief priests and the elders and the teachers of the religious law and that he would be killed. But then he said, but on the third day I'm going to rise again. 
And it's like Peter missed that entirely. And so Peter's response to Jesus, after Jesus lays out the gospel, is that Peter takes him aside and began to reprimand him, the Son of God, for saying such things. And he said to Jesus, Heaven forbid, Lord, this will never happen to you. And remember what Jesus said to him? Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get away from me, Satan. Now, that's a bad day for Peter. When Jesus, who's been your, your son of God, your friend, you know, walked through the last few years of your life with him, turns to you and says, get away from me, Satan, Satan, you know, and you can just hear it. And Jesus says to Peter, you're a dangerous trap to me. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. In other words, Peter was afraid to lose Jesus. Peter was afraid to lose Jesus. And, and we're afraid sometimes to lose people as well. But that was the, that for Peter, that was the human point of view. It wasn't God's plan. And so Jesus reprimands him, right? But think about this. If Peter had succeeded, which he couldn't because Jesus was God in the flesh and wasn't going to give in to this temptation. But if he had, think about the implications of Jesus not going to the cross. No forgiveness of our sins, no reconciliation with God, no eternal life. I mean, this was a big deal. And that's why Jesus was pretty direct with Peter, right? But then there was the night when Jesus was arrested in the garden, and now Peter's hanging out in the courtyard. And I know you remember this story, but again, it was fear that when the little girl, the servant girl, turned to Peter and said, Hey, I recognize you. You were with Jesus. Three times Peter said, No, I was not. And the third time, the Bible says, Peter swore. And I often wonder what he actually said. But he swore and he said, A curse on me if I'm lying. I don't even know the man. Now think about this. This is the same Peter of whom Jesus said, Peter, on your confession, I'm going to build the church. Your confession that I am the Christ. And it's an amazing thing. As you think about our regrets, what's really amazing to me is that Jesus will redeem our lives. And the very thing that caused us regret, which in Peter's case was a bad confession, Jesus will redeem and use that very area of our life now to build his kingdom and to build his church upon. Peter, upon your confession, this new confession, I will build my church. You know, the beauty of Peter is that he learned from his regrets and he recovered from his faithless behavior. And Peter ends up in the streets after Jesus is, you know, ascended and goes to heaven. Peter ends up in the streets preaching the first gospel message in the same mobs of people that potentially could stone him or imprison him or put him to death. Peter ends up preaching the gospel. He looks fear in the face and filled with the Holy Spirit. That was the big difference maker. He preaches the gospel and 3,000 people are saved. Why? Because he focused on Jesus, he allowed his regrets to bring change to his life, and he welcomed the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit into his life. And that's what focused faith does. Number one in your notes today, focused faith allows regret to help me become holy. To help me become holy. You see, you don't have to let the regrets of your life keep you in condemnation and shame. You can allow the regrets of your life to propel you into a new way of life, into a changed life, into not being the same 
as you were. And so that's what focused faith does. It recognizes my sin and it says, I don't want to sin that way anymore. So I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to change me. I want to change. Peter says it like this, starting in verse 13. He says, prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. In other words, exercise how you think. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living. Don't go back like a dog to its vomit. Don't go back like a pig to its mud. Don't go back to the old ways and the old old ways of thinking that you used to have to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better back then. I love that line. But now you do. Now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. I want to point out today that this is not about rules. It's not about God imposing rules. This is about a change of heart. This is about becoming a new creation in Christ. And Peter says, don't let regrets or the pain of the past rule your mind or control your life or keep you in bondage. Don't stay in your old ways. Rather, bring self-control to your mind and break free from old ways of thinking and old behaviors. Put all of your hope in Jesus. Put all of your hope in His love. God does not want us to stay the same way we were when we met Him. He doesn't want us to find our comfort in the same ways we found our comfort before Christ. He wants us to find our comfort in Him and to live differently than we did before. So our life should look different today than it did before Christ. Amen? Is that true? That was weak. Our life should look different. Amen? Right. Okay. Our life should look different than it did before Christ. Why? Because you become a new person. The old ways are gone. New ways have come. In Christ, you are a new creation. You've entered into a covenant relationship with God. And covenants are two-way street, right? They're not one way. It's not just God doing His part. But now that God has done His part, and you say yes to what God did, now that enters you into covenant with the Holy God. And the Holy God who saved us wants us to become like Him, wants us to be holy. Think about this. When you accepted Christ as your Savior, you accepted all the benefits that come with that salvation. Forgiveness from our sins, eternal life, reconciliation with God, a a relationship with Almighty God, that God is not only your Lord, but He's also your friend. All these benefits that we have from receiving Christ. And so we receive all the benefits, and now God says, okay, now your part is to keep the covenant. Your part is to let me make you holy as I am holy. I want you to resemble me, God says. I want you to look like your heavenly father, not like your old life or your old culture, okay? So you enter into covenant with God. And it's like when you buy a house in a neighborhood that has a covenant. Has anyone ever had a house that had a covenant, a neighborhood that had a covenant, maybe a condo, HOAs, certain agreements that you keep in order to live in this neighborhood, right? You agree to certain things. So like your house and your yard need to meet the intention of the designer of the community. Whoever designed the community said the houses are going to look like this. 
Okay, they're going to have two stories. They're going to have a, you know, whatever this, these houses are going to have. And covenants can also mean the prohibition of junky things in your heart, like like junky hot tubs. You know, you probably would not find this in a community that has a covenant, right? Or it might prohibit things like loud music, parties, keggers in your backyard. It might have prohibition to those kind of things. It might limit the colors that you can paint your house. Have you ever driven around and said to yourself, now, if you're going to buy paint and pay money for paint, of all the paints you could have chosen, why did you choose that color? Have you ever had that thought? I've had those thoughts before. So they're probably not living in a covenant community. So covenants can also control your pets. I've noticed that a lot of city dwellers like chickens these days. Anyone else got like, like, if you want chickens, you could live in the country, but no, you got to live in town and have chickens. And so here's what you shouldn't do if you have chickens in town. You might want to do a little better than that in your covenant community. Covenants can also control how many cars you park in the driveway, security lights, mailboxes, whether you can have a drone. I'm not talking about your husband. I'm talking about, you know, the remote control drone, okay? What is the reason for covenants? The reason for covenants is that, first and foremost, homeowners want to maintain or enhance the value of their property. Like they don't want you moving in next to them and then bringing down the value of your property. If they ever want to sell their property, they don't want to lose a sale because you live next to them. Remember the Beverly Hillbillies? That's what I think about. Listen to a story about a man named Jed, poor mountaineer, you know? Okay, so covenants are about maintaining the value of your home. Not just for your benefit, but for the benefit of your neighbors, right? So that's the first reason. But secondly, homeowners want to enjoy their space and their property without noise and annoyance from their neighbors. Have you ever had an annoying neighbor? How many of you have lived in an apartment? I've lived in an apartment. I've had some annoying neighbors. I've probably been the annoying neighbor from time to time. Covenants can also include um, communal uh, spaces that you take care of, like swimming pools, not so much here, but green spaces or parks. Same kind of a thing, right? But whatever the case is, you can't live just any way you want and expect to live in a covenant community. People care about how you live, and it matters how you live, right? You like that one? That's the Vanderveens. No, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. I'm just kidding, Jason. Sorry. So when you choose to become one of the community, you submit... You submit to the covenant, right? You submit to the covenant of that community and you live the way that the covenant says. And you have to be all in if you want to move in. And you have to stay all in if you want to stay in. And so you, you adjust your living to be in the community. And the same is true of the community of focused faith. Number two in your notes, focused faith goes all in to Jesus. Placing our hope in his resurrection. Peter gives us a sort of a Christ community covenant here. So starting in verse 17, here are a few of the things that you might find or you you do find in the community covenant of being a follower of Christ. He says, remember that the heavenly father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do or how you live. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you. 
from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God. And you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. So Peter here writes a bit of what it means to have an all-in focused faith or to live in the community covenant. And I want to pick out just three things because, again, like last week, these are powerful doctrines of our faith. And and we need to be aware of these and to know that these things matter to God. Okay. And the first is this, and that is that we live in reverent fear of God. Now, some people get worried or offended when we use the word fear in relationship to God. And I want to explain, it doesn't mean terror. It doesn't mean that you're afraid he's going to hurt you or beat you or disenfranchise you or kick you out of the community. It's not that. Reverent fear really means that you respect him. After all, he is almighty God. He is creator of the universe. He did ransom his son to pay for our sin. And so that deserves a healthy respect. It's more like a young child who respects their father, even though they love him and they know they can crawl up into his lap any time and he's going to snuggle them. But at the same time, they respect him because they know that he can discipline them if they are bad or if they are disobedient. And so it's, it's more like that. It's a healthy respect. And this respect acknowledges that God cares about how we live. And he wants us to take this temporary view of life that we have, and he wants us to take our eggs and put them in his basket, the eggs of faith, the eggs of trust. It doesn't mean we stop living life or we don't have a 401K, but what it means is that really at the bottom of our faith is Jesus. So even if I have areas of my life that I place trust in, like my family or like my church, still the bottom line is I'm going to place my eggs of faith and trust in God, in Christ. Because I know he is fail-proof. I know he will never fail me. So it just makes sense to place my eggs in his basket. So reverent fear. Second thing I notice in this passage is that all-in focused faith recognizes the ransom. It recognizes the ransom and the incomparable value of this ransom. How precious is the fact that God's Son came and gave His life for us? How precious is that? How how incomparable is that? How unusual is that that we cannot find any other way to be saved except through the ransom that that God gave us through Jesus Christ? And our response to that ransom, our acknowledgement of that ransom should be to care about what God cares about. Really, again, not in the way of rules, but in the way of a love response. That I want to become more like my father because that's what my father wants. That's what that looks like. That's what holiness looks like. Now, I, I couldn't come up with any illustration that would even come close to what this ransom is worth in preciousness, but I tried. And so here it is. See if you can connect with this. Let's say somebody says to you, I'm going to buy you a $2 million home. 
in a beautiful gated community. I'm going to pay for it. I'm going to pay all the taxes forward. I'm going to pay all the HOAs. I'm going to pay for anything it costs to upkeep it or maintain it. All you have to do is live in it and oversee the covenant. Just oversee the covenant. If it needs roofing, call a roofer and I'll pay for it. You know, just oversee the covenant. And I'm going to continue to do the work to keep it maintained. We'd be crazy not to take that, right? What a good deal. And yet that's a bit like what God, just a tiny bit like what God did for us through Christ. He said, I'm going to pay all the price. I'm going to purchase your salvation. I'm going to pay for all the costs going forward. Any sin you commit, I'm going to cover it with my blood. I'm going to maintain you. All you need to do is be committed to the covenant. Just partner with me, God says. And let me take you daily into a life of holiness. And what does holiness look like? We're going to look at that. Thirdly, all in focused faith trusts fully in God. All in focused faith trusts fully in God and places your faith and hope in Him. What that means is that there's a response to His love. You know that if you read 1 John, you'll read all about the fact that God was first, right? He loved us before we could love Him. He even loved us in our sin. He even loved us when we were His enemies, right? And so God was first in His love. And there is a response to love, and that is when we say yes to the love of Christ. We say yes to it. We place our faith in His grace. We believe Him. We believe the gospel. And that closes the circle of love. You see, for love to be love, it has to have an initiator, God, and it has to have a response. For it to be authentic love, there has to be a response from the soul of man, from the soul of woman. There has to be a response that closes the circle of love. Ravi Zacharias does a a beautiful job of explaining this. Just YouTube him. Look up Ravi Ravi Zacharias, okay, and the closed circle of love. So, So we close the circle of love how? By saying yes to Jesus and by committing our hearts then to move more and more into becoming like him, to becoming holy, to change from the way we were to the way God wants us to be. Now, I want to point out today, because when I say holiness, holiness, people think perfection, okay? That's not what it means. Really, holiness means set apart. God is set apart in his holiness. God wants us to be set apart from the world. And holiness means that you're going to move toward God's image, Become more and more like Him. But it doesn't mean perfect. You may fall sometimes. You may fail sometimes. And I want to say, Peter still did. Even after he preached that great gospel message, Peter still had some times where he struggled deeply with the fear of man. That was his nemesis. It was the fear of man. That's what caused him to deny Christ in the courtyard. That's what caused him to live in fear of Jesus going to the cross. And Galatians tells us one more story where Peter was now planting churches and training pastors. And it tells the story of when Peter gave in to fear again, struggled with fear again. Here's the story. Um, Peter was working with you know, some new believers, and they were the Gentile believers. And these believers hadn't been circumcised because they weren't Jews. And circumcision was you know, a sign for the Jews, a covenant sign for the Jews. And so God did not require the Gentiles to be circumcised. And so Peter built this relationship with the Gentiles and was in fellowship with them and, you know, in in communication, eating with them, having a great time with the Gentiles. Well, then James and some friends, some Jewish friends showed up. Guess what Peter did? He dissed the Gentiles. 
He was a hypocrite. And he said, I can't eat with you. I can't show that I have a relationship with you because my Jewish friends are here. And they're going to look down on me. I'm afraid of them. I mean, uh, Paul talked about this in Galatians. Doesn't this remind you of middle school cafeteria? It's like, you know, you're fine with one group and then you shun them and spend time with the other group. That's exactly what happened here. Paul wrote about this. I mean, think of another regret of Peter. Here's another regret. Paul writes, Peter was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy. Even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So I just want you to see today that just because you're moving in a strong direction toward God doesn't mean you may fail, may not fail from time to time. It's not the goal to fail, but you may fail, and Peter failed, and God again used this regret to build faith into Peter's life. You know, Jesus said it like this, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with His angels in the glory of His Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. What Jesus is really reminding us of is that He went all in for us, right? And so the response that makes sense, like Paul said in Romans, off your body, living sacrifice, the response that makes sense is that we would go all in for Jesus. We would go all in for Jesus. What does that look like? Well, focused faith shows that going all in for Jesus means sincere love for each other. Sincere love for each other is really the sign of being all in. For Jesus and sincere love for God and for others is really the end of holiness. You don't get much more holy than that. It comes back to the great commandment, right? Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. It's a great commandment. So focused faith shows sincere love to one another. You know, I've been a pastor now for 33 years. I know I don't look a day over 33. I know it's tough, hard to believe. But I have. 1986, I became an ordained pastor uh, with His Place Church, the little ark in Burlington. That was my first youth pastor pastorate. And my office was in the ark and, uh, you know, raised up kids in the Lord. And uh, in those years, those 33 years, I've had so many opportunities to observe people show sincere love. To see people that get in big messes in their lives whether it's a student of mine or whether it was myself, that was where I got in my big mess, was in Burlington, or whether it's people in marriage. Marriages are on the brink of disaster. And seeing how people respond to that and watching what people do with disaster, pending disaster in their life, and when they choose sincere love is the most beautiful thing. And they choose the hard work of facing their regrets and facing their sin and taking a path that walks through their sin with the help of the Holy Spirit, and probably a counselor, walks through their sin and to the other side where they are restored. And Jesus even begins to redeem their life and use that very thing that they struggled with to help others. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. In fact, I would argue that there's not much more beautiful than that. And I have friends in this church that have taken this journey. 
I myself and my wife took this journey where you choose sincere love for one another. You know, one of those stories that I've enjoyed over the years, and it's not just one man or one woman, but it's many people have have this story. And I've been privileged to help people come to healing in their life in this particular area. And it's in the area of addiction. And the story looks something like this. And this is, don't try to figure out who this is because these are multiple stories woven into one because they're the same, okay? Story looks like this. Wife calls me up, says my husband drinks and it's affecting our family and I can't, I'm done. I can't go on. And she says it's been going on for years and the story, back story is that husband's, husband has a high stress life. You know, work is stressful so he comes home the end of a long day, has a couple drinks or a couple beers. In his eye, in his mind, it's not affecting anybody. It's, he's not drunk. He's just, he's just detaching from the stress of work. But let me tell you what happens when you detach from the stress of work. Who do you also detach from? Your family. You can't have one without the other. And so you detach from work, but you're also detaching from your family. And over the years, wife says... This is not what I signed up for. This is not the kind of love and attention that our family needs. And I've asked him for years, and he continues to say, no, I'm okay, and so I'm done. So they come into my office. We sit down, and I say, okay, well, how's this going to look? And she says, well, I'm done unless he goes to treatment. He goes to treatment and stops drinking. I will work. I'll do my part. I'll do my best. I'll forgive. We'll move forward. But that's the story. So sincere love is wife who says, this is not your best. You can be better than this. This is sincere love when someone stretches themselves and rather rather than just live in this codependency, they say, I want you to grow. I want you to change. In fact, I'm going to turn up the pressure in your life to help you. And then on the other hand, sincere love is when the husband says, okay, Okay, it's come to this. Okay, I'm going to change. I'm going to do what you ask. I'm going to do my part. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to benefit my family. That's what I'm going to do. And I have seen this scenario played out half a dozen to a dozen times over my years as a pastor. And it's a beautiful, beautiful scenario when you see a family restored and come back together again. And this is just one story of hundreds of different kinds of stories that we could tell when people choose to love one another or their family sincerely. This, I believe, is the pinnacle of holiness. This, I believe, is coming to the place where life is not just about what I want or what I think I need, but life is about what you need. I believe that that is the height of holiness because it's really loving like God loves, right? Sacrificially, completely, doing what we needed when we were desperate. So Peter says it like this in verse 22. He says, You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart, for you've been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. Peter writes these words to the church, and he writes them to us as well. You were cleansed from all your sins when you got saved. Jesus cleansed you 
when you placed your faith in Christ, right? That's the beginning point. Now Peter says you must live up to the condition of your cleansing. You're a new, you're a new creature. You're a new creation. You have to live up to the conditions of that creation, the conditions of the covenant. And the covenant is to love sincerely and to love deeply. Now let me just break down these words for you quickly as we close today. Sincere in the Greek means without hypocrisy. It means don't fake it. It means don't be conditional like Peter was with the Gentiles. I'll love you until James shows up with the Jews. No, don't be like that. Love sincerely. Sincere love is proven by how you treat one another. So sincere love for Peter would have been, hey, I'm going to stick by you Gentiles no matter what James and the Jewish brothers think. And I'm going to help them change their perspective. That's what sincere love would have done. And then Peter says, love each other deeply from the heart. Of course, the word love is from the Greek agape, which means love each other like God loves you, okay, with pure motivations. But then I love this word deeply. This word deeply is from the Greek word ektenos, which means at full stretch. Love each other at full stretch. Love is going to stretch you. If you're going to love well, you're going to be stretched. It's not easy. It's not convenient. Or love in an all-out manner. And then I love this third definition of deeply. And it says, love with an intense strain. A strain. Love is going to strain you. Love is going to be difficult. It's not going to be easy. Love is going to push you past some of your opinions and some of your thoughts about other people about your husband, about your wife, about your kids, about your parents. Love is going to stretch you like Jesus was stretched out on the cross. And love is going to strain you as Jesus took on the strain of our sin, took on the strain of darkness and separation from the Father. Love is going to stretch you and love is going to strain you. For you who are married here today, marriage is not meant to be easy. Marriage is meant to make you holy. Guess what? That'll work. It'll work. But you've got to allow yourself to be stretched and strained and pushed through the things that come up and forgive when you need to forgive and repent when you need to repent. That's what love requires. And so showing sincere love to each other, loving each other deeply with all your heart is the outcome of being born again. When you're born again, when Christ moves in and the Holy Spirit moves in, your ability to love changes radically and you're now day by day year by year able to love less selfishly than before and it causes you to be able to do things you've never been able to do before in the name of love before we were bound by our own selfish nature now we focus on what we can give and less on what we can get would you stand with me this morning we're going to close we're going to invite the worship team to come And I'm going to challenge you today that as you worship, that you, like me, I do this with you, you open your heart to the Holy Spirit to do whatever He wants in your heart and in your life this morning. Just say, Lord, have your way with me. I want to be holy like you are holy. So would you pray with me a moment? Just prepare our hearts to sing these songs. Lord Jesus, today we're thankful that you have saved us. Thank you that you have made, let's make it personal, Jesus, thank you that you have made me a new creature.
creation, a new person. Thank you that I'm not bound by, by my selfish nature anymore. Thank you that I am free to love and to give if I so choose. And that, in fact, your spirit empowers me to do that. So, Lord, I pray that, that today I would not add any more regrets to my life. That I would look back on today and say, I loved well today. I became a little more like Jesus today. Lord, just continue to make us holy like you are.